today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hurricane Hazel McCallion, uh, mayor of Mississauga for many years, has joined uh, the Progressive Conservatives as an advisor to the premier and as well the uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Steve Clark, to talk more about all of this and, of course, what happened with uh, the Prime Minister and uh, their cabinet meeting over the weekend. Peter Graff is with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Uh, before we get into Hurricane Hazel, just wanted to ask you your thoughts on uh, weekend retreat with the uh, federal liberals getting ready for the next uh, fall election and, and, you know, rallying the troops, that sort of thing. Uh, can the prime minister run basically the same campaign he ran last time, the, the sunny ways and get elected uh, for a second term? Or, or, or how does he have to adjust that campaign moving forward? Well, I mean, I think we've seen already some adjustment where, I mean, he'll still be trying to portray himself as a candidate of hope against uh, Andrew Scheer. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, he's got the advantage of being prime minister, so he can also run on the sort of vision of being a statesman. Uh, And, you know, in cases where his own government's decision-making hasn't quite measured up to the sunny ways promised in 2015, he can obviously uh, pull out the argument that he had to make tough choices. So I think we've seen this really prepared in his town halls, where again he you know tries to sell a uh, sort of a positive image of himself but where he's criticized you know he says oh i didn't have a choice i had to make the tough decisions and you know here's why uh, you should follow me regardless uh selling the others as divisive can you oversell sunny ways does it does it appear to some that he may not have a handle on issue or may not be seeing what's really going on well, I mean, I think he has some danger if uh, Jagmeet Singh gets elected uh, in this by-election in that uh, he may come to be seen as someone who promised a lot and didn't deliver. And so for a part of his electorate who actually wanted those things that he promised, uh, there may be another contender uh, who's a bit more visible and present in Ottawa. So I think there's a bit of a, a danger that if he raises hopes too high, uh, the comparisons may not necessarily be favorable for him. So if he wants to maintain his entire electorate, uh, probably changing the channel uh, slightly much more to, you know, the difficulty of making choices of prime minister, but still my choices are better than the ones you'd get with Andrew Scheer, uh, maybe will work better for him. In some ways, a position that we saw with Dalton McGuinty and uh, Kathleen Wynne, at least when they were successful politically, uh, you know, precisely to say, well, you may not like everything we're doing, but we're not the, uh, you know, barbarians of the Conservative Party, so even if we fall short, you should still stay on our bandwagon. Uh, the Prime Minister, a great mediator, great at bringing people together, having the discussions. Is he over-promising and under-delivering in the sense that it, it doesn't seem that things, pipelines, indigenous issues, what have you, are seeming to be, are, are moving forward? Uh yeah, I mean, although on the other hand, uh, you know, nationalizing an oil uh, pipeline is like not a minor move. I mean, in a, another time, we wouldn't have believed to see a prime minister take such a bold step, although it hasn't really produced the outcome that he was looking for. I guess that's my point. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, you know, any political action is likely to fall short, but certainly uh, Trudeau did come to power making very bold and some might say irresponsible promises on issues that... Uh, are in some ways much more intractable. And so, yeah, maybe we should uh, hold him to account for making promises that he should have known have been hard. I mean, similarly promising to implement every single uh, call to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission yeah. report. 
uh, you know, a signal that he took it seriously, but uh, also leads to questions about, well, did he really take it seriously or was he just using that as a prop for a day on his campaign? I remember when, uh, before he was elected, some referred to him as vacuous. Looking at situations like we're talking about now, is that still is that still the case? Has he grown into this, this position or does he not have the background to understand the complexity of these issues? Uh, I think he understands the complexity of the issues. <clears throat> I mean, I think he takes, you know, fairly uh, clear positions, uh, but those are ones that are going to uh, make some people unhappy. And I think that's where the claim of vacuousness comes in, is that when it comes to actually defending a number of these decisions, uh, it, it really, there's not much of a defense there. It gets lost in these platitudes, rather than him coming out clearly and saying, no, actually, I made this choice. You don't like it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I didn't choose your direction, but, uh, you know, I did it for these reasons. Uh, you can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much more a kind of sugarcoating, oh, we're trying to balance this and that and do this and that. And at a certain point, uh, I think people begin to say, well, this person's really inauthentic. In the world that we're living in now and what we're seeing happening on the world stage, does someone in, in his leadership, is it is it a light in the storm? Is it calm and comfortness or... Is it the opposite one of, uh, you know, we're not sure we're ready, anxiety, uh, uh, do we got both or do we have both oars in the water here? How does that position work in today's climate? Well, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, the, the leaders uh, of different countries themselves getting together and trying to do diplomacy, I suspect Trudeau is sometimes useful uh, because he uh, serves to talk to if you like the better angels, right, to make the case for what uh, the global community thought was the way forward maybe 10 or 15 years ago in terms of free trade, uh, open borders, uh, migration, openness to multiculturalism. Uh, and so for you know leaders who may actually still believe that but find it hard to uh, put that forward domestically given the rise of parties that have questioned uh, some of those claims, it may be useful to have Trudeau out there trying to make the positive case for these so they don't have to make them themselves. But in terms of getting you know specific things done, I don't think that's necessarily terribly useful. All right, uh, let's talk about Hurricane Hazel, an incredible career uh, as mayor of Mississauga, and I guess has been quite active uh, ever since, and still at the young age of 98 is still working. Uh, what are your thoughts on what she can bring to the government? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, she brings a, a wealth of experience. Uh, I'm not sure that that experience would be lacking in other people that could be hired who are maybe uh, a bit more tied to the specifics of some of these policy issues being faced. Uh, I mean, the the main uh, program that she's been brought into is to do with access to housing, which I uh, presume is a a bit of a code word to say, uh, reduce regulations on uh, new developments of, of, I guess, new subdivisions in the greater Toronto area. Um, but, you know, where exactly she fits in that, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly Mississauga was built that way, but by the end of her career, Hazel McCallion had realized the errors of her ways, that that was too expensive to service and that Mississauga was going to go bankrupt if it didn't get much denser. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see what kinds of arguments uh, she brings forward, you know, and, and is she there as a cover for a Doug Ford uh, using her popularity to sell what's been an unpopular idea of opening up the green belt to to the expansion of the suburbs, or is she there to actually sell his base on the need to maintain the green belt? And so her later pronouncements about, uh, you know, some of the problems of development and the uh, fiscal unsustainability of building ever more suburbs and having to service them in the long run, whether that comes to provide cover for a decision not to go forward in, in opening up the green belt.
Uh, what what the government may gain in experience, will it be lacking in future vision, technology, uh, you know, things that come with, with, with obviously putting younger people in, in situations like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a bit skeptical about what value you get from some kind of special advisor that you put uh, next to the minister. I mean, they have already their sources uh, of policy advice that come through partisan channels. They have, uh, you know, staffers in those offices who can bring forward the views of the Conservative Party. <clears throat> and they have a bureaucracy which is tied into, uh, you know, the latest thinking. So, you know, what exactly those advisors do, I'm not sure in this kind of context. I don't think they'll be missing out a whole lot in terms of new thinking. I think the bigger risk for the government is that despite uh, McCallion being, uh, you know, well-loved in Mississauga, I suspect a lot of people might be asking why a government is spending $150,000 a year to, for the advice of someone who's 97. Um, it just doesn't look necessary, you know, so why spend those kinds of sums in this moment for advice? But they're not very clear exactly what uh, advice and guidance he's going to be providing. So, you know, despite people having respect for Hazel McCallion, uh, you know, as this comes on the the heels of a number of other appointments of uh, sort of partisan uh, people close to Ford to high-paying positions, uh, you know, may may be one that the government has a hard time wearing in terms of people saying, well, uh, you know, certainly uh, Hazel McCallion at 97 probably is well looked after already. She could probably come on at a buck a year and provide advice uh, as well. Uh, And how does that play for a government who's interested in cost-cutting and, you know, being efficient with things? Yeah, well, again, I think that that may these things may begin to lead up. You know, Jenny uh, Jenny Byrne, a close advisor to Ford in a four hundred four hundred thousand a year position at the Ontario Energy Board, and so forth. Uh, I mean, certainly, uh, with time comes to be looking as a government not for the people, but you know, for Ford's people, and so uh, that could be could be a danger for him. Now, you would think generally Hazel McCallion isn't seen in quite those lights, to the extent that she's you know, been close to premiers, both liberal and conservative over time. Um, she's not someone who really needs the, the help from the Fords, but just the idea that it's a government that's you know, says it's too much to go from 14 to $15 an hour in the minimum wage, uh, and yet is able to find, uh, uh, you know, $200 an hour jobs for, uh, you know, retired ex-politicians, Again, I, I think with time, it could wear on the government's image. Uh, you were talking about uh, the salary. I was going to bring up $150,000 to do that. How does that compare for others in positions like this? Uh, is that a drop in the bucket? Is that about right? Is that over the top? You said, you know, considering an experience and such, it might be something she would do for a buck. Uh, is that fair? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, if you want good advice, you should be prepared to pay for it. Uh, but I think we also have a lot of experience of retired politicians who figure they're, you know, comfortable enough that their sense of public service is big enough that they're willing to do it for a small sum. I think in part they do that, too, because if they decide to leave, they don't feel any sense of obligation, right? So if they have a falling out with the minister, right. they can say, well, I quit. And the minister can say, yeah, but you just pocketed 40000 bucks for not giving me that much over the past four months. So, um uh, you know, there's that aspect where I think people might ask uh, of someone like Hazel McCallion. Uh, again, uh, obviously, if she needs the money, she needs the money. But it does seem a bit, uh, you know, not that well fitting for a senior and respected figure to be uh, pushing so hard on the public purse. I mean, the sums are not probably outrageous for that kind of form of senior advisor. Although, again, you know, the question has to be asked not of her, but of the government as to, you know, what value are they really getting for that sum of money? 
um, that they couldn't get by other means. Uh, I mean, the expertise uh, M- former Mayor McCallion has is considerable in terms of running a municipality, but her knowledge in terms of, you know, how you do development was always based on a bureaucracy in Mississauga giving her advice. So, you know, it's not clear what the added value is in this instance. What about just the experience? Just, you know, the fact that she's seen it all, she's lived through, uh, you know, it's not certainly not her first rodeo. Uh, is that, you know, 97 years not of value? Yeah, I think it's a value, uh, but it's you know not impossible for the minister Clark or for uh, Premier Ford to pick up the phone if they came across something. And they said, "Wait a second, I think we're we're being sold a bill of goods here, or our bureaucrats aren't giving us a full range of options, or will this really work?" You know, I think they could pick up the phone, and I suspect. Uh, Let's ask Hazel. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, clearly they're in touch. Uh, you know, Hazel McCallion's come out a few times in the past few months around the government and in the past election. Um, so, again, it strikes me as it's not clear what is actually being uh, obtained from this, particularly since, again, you have a Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing uh, where you've got uh, real experts uh, in this area as well. I mean, she's not the only one who knows how these things work. Um, again, why you'd go there and what exactly they're hoping to get from her r- remains to be seen. Uh, PR move to you, does this give the, the public confidence? Uh, may give some of the public confidence. I mean, we're obviously in a tough spot in in, in southern Ontario, where we have uh, you know in, in the Toronto, city of Toronto itself an inability for people to to find good housing, either to buy it or even to stay in a rental house, uh, you know, without being renovicted, uh, you know, or or moved for other reasons. So, you know, in that context, housing supply is a big issue. It, it might actually be useful to have a broader public conversation and say, well, you know, how much of this is apartments sitting empty because of Airbnbs in downtown Toronto? How much of it is a lack of, of new supply? And if there's a lack of new supply, you know, is the answer to build more suburbs or is it to densify the suburbs we have? I mean, these are important decisions to make, and it might be useful to have a, a full open discussion so that we as citizens can kind of see what the choices are. I'm not sure that, you know, hiring an advisor to say, well, you know, to tell, to whisper in the premier's ear, oh, she thinks this is a good idea or that's a good idea, is necessarily going to get our confidence. So if he wants to, for instance, expand supply into the green belt, uh, you know, there's going to be a huge opposition to that, particularly since he promised not to during the election. Uh, you know, if he wanted to actually you know, move that that point forward, he might do better to have an open discussion where we could decide, okay, yeah, it might make sense to do it here or there, or it doesn't make sense to do it at all. But we'd at least have the chance to have a fuller sense of what's going on in housing supply in the GTA. Uh, you were talking about the development of Mississauga. After spending mayor, uh, spending so much time as mayor of that city and, and, seeing, um, uh, and seeing Southern Ontario grow through various premiers, um, what could she learn from that? What experience could she bring to today's government, any modern government? Well, I think uh, she gets a sense of the life cycle of the cost of development, right? So, you know, when she starts out as mayor of Mississauga, it's a growing place. You've got development charges rolling in year after year as they're building out the next subdivision. You know, it's really easy. Then towards the end of her, uh, her career, she begins to see, well, wait a second, Right, it's now 40 years in, and we're replacing these uh, roads and resurfacing those sidewalks, and there's these water main breakages and so on, and it's getting really expensive. There's a huge push on the tax property tax base because you don't have, you know, the cities built out, you don't have the development charges coming in, and you've got a really low density form of uh, of uh, housing where people have to pay considerable property taxes, you know, because it's 40 feet of pipe in front of their house, and it's somehow got to get paid for by their taxes. And she saw the importance then of densification and of trying to develop. 
uh, a hub around Square One and in other parts of Mississauga to give more of an industrial base. Not work for Mississauga. I'm not sure that you're going to be able to see other uh, suburban communities replicate that. It's not like Burlington can suddenly, you know, build a corporate sector because they're just that much further away from Toronto. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of municipalities, you know, are facing that question. They're still building out. They still can get those development charges. But what comes next? And I think uh, Mayor McCallion had a sense of, uh, you know, the, the life cycle of a suburban community and how you'd have to plan it differently if you wanted it to be uh, viable in the long run. Uh, how do you play this with the public? Everybody says, well, you know, we've got to stop urban sprawl. We want more densification. But, you know, even you're talking about somebody like a Burlington, they're going through that right now, been a suburbia for a long time. You look at their waterfront and that, you know, that giant building that they put up uh, right at the base of, of uh, Lakeshore and Brant. Uh, and, and, you know, people are upset. People don't want... Um, you know, 25-story buildings, 28-story buildings, whatever it is, uh, in, you know, in the middle of an area like that that has a little bit of historical significance. I mean, they're using everything they can. I, I, you know, uh, Mayor, uh, Marianne Mead Ward was saying that, uh, you know, because it is a, a transportation hub, uh, the municipal board has allowed that type of density. Um, is there a happy medium here? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> in, in many ways, I mean, there's... Why is that? Well, I mean, it's a bit of a kind of a Ponzi scheme, right? I mean, people uh, buy in the suburbs because they like to be out of the city, and then they're upset that the next suburb gets built uh, beyond them, right? Because it takes away their green space that they value, and it puts more cars in the road, and it gets dense, you know. Similarly, people like living downtown, but, you know, they don't want it too too many people about, and uh, they get upset when, you know, the next building goes up. So I mean, and, I they, think- and it blocks the view of the, the lake for them. Yeah, and if they and if you don't build the if you don't build those, then of course their property tax goes up, and then they complain that they're paying you know Hamilton property taxes in Burlington. So I mean, I think people are just always unhappy <laughs> about these things. Yeah. Um, but I think what can be useful, what where our you know municipal and provincial uh, political leaders can do, is just remind people of the trade-offs involved. I mean, people may still not be happy, but at least they can begin to understand why their politicians are you know, uh, supporting this idea of 25 stories or why they're supporting this idea of building in the green belt or why they are, you know, saying let's not build in the green belt, but that is going to reduce the housing supply perhaps for, for certain uh, groups. So I think bringing that to the to the fore is important. I mean, the other thing, of course, is that development is not just about political decisions. It's also the economic interests of the developers. Uh, you know, they want the extra story because it means more money out of a particular building. So the other thing is to to begin thinking about, you know, okay, where's the public interest in these developments, um, and to what extent, uh, you know, do developers uh, are they able to kind of get around that because they're looking to maximize the value of of building their development, which is you know understandable from their point of view, but you know it's important that citizens have a chance to say, well, wait a second, we agree to this plan, and it's important not to add those extra stories. Peter Grave has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thank you for the time. Have a great day. And you too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.